0: This is John chapter 10 from verse 1 to 21. Very truly I tell you Pharisees, anyone who doesn't enter the the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of a speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is hard hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind?
1: Uh, Thanks Carolyn. It's good to continue to go through the Gospel of John together as we believe uh, here that the Bible is God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so it's worth uh, considering and pondering uh, these words, particularly in the Gospel of John, written, by, of course, by uh, Jesus' close mate, uh, John, who was there and heard and saw all these things, including what we just read. So I'm going to ask God to help us now as we spend a bit more time uh, looking at this passage together. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you for particularly the Gospel of John and for your servant, John, who wrote it, inspired by your Holy Spirit, remembering uh, what he saw of Jesus' teaching and uh, miracles, life, death and resurrection. Help us now as we ponder these words uh, to understand them, appreciate them and that you would grow faith in us for Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, Megs and I went furniture shopping yesterday, <coughs> probably one of the most Central Coast things that you can do, uh, given half the shops on Man Street are, are all about homemaking, right, every second shop, is all about homemaking, because it's a big part, it's a big part of the good life here on the Central li- uh, Coast, setting up that slice of heaven in your own home. And so although normally the idea of wandering around looking at couches, um, for me, is about as much fun as shoving bamboo shoots under my nails, uh, yesterday it wasn't too bad. Actually, um, it was. in fact, I quite liked it, uh, and I could see how it's kind of cool to think of getting something new, with all the promise that new things bring, There's something uh, of the goodness of life in it. Like if you just kept getting more and more good new stuff in your life, you'd feel full right, Uh, until you don't. And so you go around again, get some more new stuff, and then you get over that and you do it again. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great, though, to uh, step off the consumer train and have life to the full now and always? Wouldn't that be great? Well, that's what Jesus is actually offering in uh, this passage of John that we just had not read. But before we take a closer look, let's uh, recap on where we've been. Uh, last week in chapter 9, uh, we saw Jesus healing a man born blind on the Sabbath. Uh, but you're not meant to work on the Sabbath and healing, according to uh, a bunch of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they get quite grumpy at Jesus for this, uh, for doing that. They end up calling him a sinner and demon-possessed. But the healed man, he has a go at them uh, for not seeing what's so obvious to him that Jesus must be sent from God. And so they boot him out of the synagogue uh, but Jesus catches up with the guy uh, to chat with him later on, and some of the Pharisees, they're eavesdropping, they're just listening in, when he says this, Jesus says, For judgment I've come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who will see become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were there with him, uh, they said, they heard this and they asked, What, are we blind too? And Jesus said, Well, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. See, these Pharisees, they claim to know God and his ways to see, as Jesus says here, but by rejecting Jesus and kicking out the healed man because he's on Jesus' team, they show they don't see at all. They show that they're actually instead blind, blind to God's ways. And so they're guilty, guilty of rejecting God's divine saviour and messiah, Jesus, and guilty of mistreating God's people. And in so doing, they're guilty of stopping people living life to the full. Because as we'll see, unlike anyone else, Jesus has come to give life to the full. As he willingly lays down his life for them, so that they might know God intimately. So that's where we're going today. Firstly, unlike anyone else, we'll see that Jesus can be trusted to give life to the full. Uh, Secondly, because he willingly lays down his life for people, so that thirdly, they might know God intimately and personally. So, first up, uh, unlike anyone else, Jesus can be trusted to give life to the full, but only to those who want to see. Those who know that they're spiritually blind and look to Jesus to heal. them, To those who think they already see when it comes to God, like the Pharisees, those religious leaders, Jesus goes on to hide the truth about himself and the truth about them in a, in a figure of speech. A figure of speech about sheep and a sheep pen and how anyone who doesn't come in by the gate to the sheep pen is a thief and a robber but the shepherd comes in by the gate, the gatekeeper recognises him and the sheep listen to the shepherd because the shepherd knows each of them by name and they follow him. Not strangers though, won't follow strangers. Uh, the sheep won't recognise a stranger's voice and so they'll run away from them. Now, back then, this would have been a pretty kind, uh, similar and familiar kind of son- scenario for people. People had sheep, there were sheep around a lot of them. And maybe certain families or groups shared a sheep pen and hired someone to stand guard at the gate. And so, of course, robbers and th- thieves would use some other way than the gate to get at the sheep in the sheep pen. But when, the, when a shepherd comes along and calls his sheep, they come to him. Now interestingly, uh, I saw a video just recently uh, in the eastern, <laughs> in other parts of the world where this is how they do uh, sheep mustering. Uh, you can have multiple sheep belonging to different shepherds and the shepherd, one shepherd will come and call his sheep and those, his own sheep, will separate themselves from the lot and come to him. That's uh, quite amazing. And I saw this one video of a guy whistling uh, for his sheep and they're running towards him in the mist. It's quite lovely and they're gathering all around him. (laughs) So, anyway, it's a little bit different, of course, to how sheep are mustered here in Australia. It's all dogs and motorbikes using to round out the sheep. But uh, back then, as we said, the sheep, they were trained to hear the shepherd's voice and they come to uh, his voice and they follow him. And Jesus, he's, he's using this idea here to get at something else, to get at something about himself, to get at something about the Pharisees and to get at something about the people around about them now as he's talking to them. But the Pharisees, they don't get it. Uh, verse 6, we see Jesus used this figure of speech. But the Pharisees, they don't understand what he's telling them. Therefore... Uh Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So uh, a little bit more information. Jesus is the gate in this figure of speech, which suggests that the sheep are actually uh, God's people, like the, the healed blind man in this story, and the thieves and the robbers, well, uh, they're the Pharisees. Now, they might, might not know it, these Pharisees, these religious leaders are listening on, but by rejecting people like the healed blind man uh, for trusting in Jesus... They're actually stealing from, stealing life from them. And not just any life, but life to the full. They're killers and destroyers. That's what Jesus is uh, more than hinting at. Yeah, the other day, uh, my kids wanted me to introduce them to some classic uh, films. And I said, well, I've already shown them the Dark Crystal. Uh, and I think Lockie, my oldest, his exact words were, that is literally the worst film I've ever seen, Dad. <laughs> Which is a little bit rough because I can remember as a, uh, as a boy being quite impressed uh, by this film, uh, particularly by one scene where a creature has the life literally sucked out of them by, some, by the baddies in the movie. It's, it was pretty freaky for a 10-year-old. <laughs> um, and this is a little bit how Jesus describes the Pharisees here. Thieves, killers, destroyers, life suckers. Sucking the life out of people which is pretty full-on. Um, after all, these guys, they were the influences of the day. If there was a, a first-century Jewish TikTok, maybe it was called Top Top, um, they'd have been the Charlie D'Amelio and Noah Beck of the day. That's them in Jewish garb, if you're wondering. Uh, they were the, the ones that everyone would switch on for and listen to, and yet Jesus reckons they're life-suckers. And in some ways, nothing has really changed. You may have heard of uh, TED Talks. Everyone heard of TED Talks? Experts giving public talks in their chosen field under the slogan, Ideas Worth Spreading. uh, Since going online, since 2005, it's become the most visible and influential public speaking platform in the world. I uh, I read uh, an interesting article the other day reflecting on the phenomenon of uh, TED Talks and how many of the TED speakers champion a future where technology, education and design can save the world in various ways. Uh, For instance, in uh, 2015, Bill Gates gave a talk where he predicted pestilence, not nuclear war, but pestilence was actually the world's greatest threat. But the future is going to be okay uh, because he has an idea. And the idea was to build a medical reserve corps, uh, play germ games like generals play war games, make alliances with other virus-fighting nations and build arsenals of biomedical uh, weapons to attack any viruses. Uh, but now, seven years on, and five million dead from COVID, we're now living in a reality that feels the exact opposite of Bill Gates's hopeful Ted future. And this the article points out, is just one example of how TED Talks are just all talk. Uh, and the ideas espoused are often reflect the exact opposite of the reality later on. Uh, talk of a bright future in the hands of our sages of technology and education and design is largely a future uh, imagined by those in Silicon Valley who are the world's new priests. And just as guilty as the Pharisees, of robbing people of life to the full. Not necessarily by overtly rejecting Jesus, like the Pharisees did, but more just ignoring him, sidelining him. Not in any kind of nasty kind of way, they just don't see him. They believe in science and technology and design. That's what they believe in will save people. But save them from what? From a, a worse life, here and now? what about life beyond that? Well, they don't believe in that. Their their future vision, it's not eternal. Their, Their vision of life, if life is eternal, it's not very full. Jesus promises life to the full. But TED Talks don't tell us this. Not because they hate Jesus, but more because they love the sound of their own voices more. And the simple fact is many of us listen to these voices. Day in and day out, we listen to these experts on living life to the full, whether it's the musicians that we love to listen to or the thinkers or the leaders or the influencers. We follow them on Insta, TikTok and TED Talks. We love their life hacks, their thoughts, their attitudes, their lives. But if we're not careful, we'll live through their take on the world and find ourselves thinking like them, liking what they like, talking like them and not liking what they don't like. And the simple fact is we don't really know them. Not really. Uh, for all they promise, we can't really trust them to give us the full life they're promising. Not even vicariously. I mean, let's face it, who's ever felt their lives truly enriched by another two hours of scrolling through vids on TikTok or Insta or TED Talks? And even if we scale the heights, uh, loved by millions and have millions of dollars like Charlie and D'Amelio, her dogs are going to die one day. So will her parents. So are her friends. So will she. And then what? What good will five million followers and a truckload of cash do when you have to face God? We need to be careful who we let tickle our ears, whose voices we follow, because unlike Jesus, no one else can promise life to the full. But how can we trust Jesus is good on his word? Why would we trust him, that he can give us life to the full? Well, it's because Jesus lays down his life for us. That's the second point. And what he says next in our passage. I am the good shepherd, he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The higher hand is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. You know, Jesus shifts from uh, the image of being a gate uh, to being the good shepherd, because he wants to make a point about himself that you can't imagine a gate doing, and that's laying down his life for people. A good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. And Jesus is saying, he's this type of shepherd, he's the good shepherd. Now, if the Pharisees were hearing some Old Testament illusion here, they're probably right. Uh, because 400 years or so before, God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 34 of his book, you can check it out later, famously calling on the leaders of Israel at the time as being bad shepherds because they didn't care for God's flock, his people. And so he says he's against them and he will hold them accountable. And meanwhile, he himself, God himself, promises that he will search out His for his people and he will look after them like a shepherd with his sheep. He will rescue them from dark places. He will bring them into good pastures. And Jesus is saying here that He's the Good Shepherd. So it wouldn't be very hard for the Pharisees who, are, who would have been familiar with the scriptures, with the Old Testament scriptures and the prophet Ezekiel to miss who Jesus thinks they are in this scenario. If He's the Good Shepherd, who are they? They're the bad shepherds. Well, they're more like the hired hands, He says, as He calls, that Jesus calls them, that flee at any sign of trouble who look only after their own interests and well-being before even thinking of putting their lives on the line for God's people. I asked some guys, young guys recently if they knew anyone who would actually die for them. Uh, some said maybe their parents, but for the most part they weren't sure. Which I think, if we're honest, is the case for most of us. Yeah, maybe our husband or our wife might, maybe our lover or friend, but, but could we say for sure... Could we 100% say that at the last moment they wouldn't back down in fear? That maybe whatever it is that's threatening our life threatens theirs too and they run? I mean, you and I, we know what we're like. That we'd be tempted to do that. So why wouldn't anybody else? Why would we anybody else be different? Jesus knows this. He knows it about the Pharisees that they don't really care for God's people, that as soon as their position and power is threatened, they'll run to save themselves and abandon the people they're meant to be caring for, just like he knows we all would. That deep down we're all about firstly looking after number one, that when there's any sign of trouble, all the toilet rolls are gone in the supermarket. And even if we look to be doing something good for others, it's always mixed motivations, isn't it? Of wanting to look good, of wanting to please, of wanting to feel better about ourselves, of trying to wipe the ledger clean, but it's no use. Uh, We're all sick with selfishness. But Jesus, he's of an entirely different order. Not only is he not selfish, ever, unlike us, he doesn't just talk about it, he proves it. He actually lays down his life for us when he did on that cross. And he doesn't do this because we're lovely, or because we're his best friends, but precisely because we're not. (laughs) He dies the death of someone who deserves to suffer for selfishness, for living as if they're God of their own life. He dies the death that we deserve, and he does it in our place so that we don't have to. That's why, unlike anyone else, we can trust him. Because he not only willingly lays down his life for us, he doesn't stay dead. Unlike anyone else, he has the power and the authority to give his life and to take it back up, which he says in verse 18. And he shows this when he rises from the dead. And he does all this for his sheep, for people who live in the shadow of death, who know they're selfish, who are fearing God's judgment, and know they can't escape it on their own, and cry out to God for mercy. God sent Jesus to die and live for him. That's that's how much he loves them. And as such, he can be trusted. Trusted to give what he promises. Life to the full. Which begs the question, what is life to the full? What does it look like? Which brings us to the third point. To know God intimately. Which is what Jesus promises as the good shepherd. Where he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I can't think of anything more profound, more thrilling, more full of life than what Jesus says here. I know my sheep, he says, and he knows them by name. He says that earlier in verse 3. He knows He knows us by name, individually, every single one of us. And he knows what we're like. He knows why he's laying down his life for them. He knows they're the absolute worst who deserve to suffer and die for the way that they've treated God, for the way that they've selfishly lived for themselves. And yet Jesus not only knows each of them, By name, he loves them so much, he dies for them. And profoundly, they know him. Not as someone judging them, but saving them. Not as someone frowning down on them, but happily inviting them into his arms. They know him intimately. They trust him. They trust Jesus' death has brought God's forgiveness such that they might know God intimately as their loving, forgiving, heavenly Father. Indeed, the grounds for the intimacy shared between Jesus and his people is the intimacy shared between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, come in the flesh. A deep knowledge that issues in deep and eternal love for each other. A love which for the Son, for Jesus, looks like totally, willingly, happily obeying the Father. As he says in verse 17, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The Father loves the Son because the Son obeys the Father's command the command to lay down his life and take it up again for God's people, a command he willingly and happily obeys. And this mutual love between the Father and the Son, between the Father and Jesus, is a window into what it means for God the Father to know God the Son and vice versa. It's profound to think that we know something of the intimacy In God, between the Father and the Son, of their love for each other and then for us, as their intimacy is mirrored in the intimacy that God's people have with Jesus, who is God, the Son. Through Jesus, we know God and are known by God. And that as we rely on Jesus, we can turn to look into the face of God without fear, but actually with delight. For we know Him to be our loving Heavenly Father and our loving sacrificial Saviour. Have you ever been caught out doing something wrong and felt exposed and, and, and ashamed? And you wanted to, and you want to hide, and you just can't. Someone told me once they. Uh, they went with their newly uh, married wife overseas to a popular holiday destination. They found a deserted beach and decided to go for a swim in the nub. But what they didn't realise was that the beach was along the flight path to the local airport. So before they got done with their swim, an aeroplane had flown very low and close to the shore with a bunch of people gawking out the windows <laughs> at them. How embarrassing. And maybe the thought of God knowing you, knowing you might feel a little bit like that exposed, embarrassed, as he swoops down for a closer look at what you've done and said and thought. After all, he can see it all. He sees everything and he can see right into your heart as you've done it. He knows not just what you do and say and think, but he knows why. That can be a scary thought. If he's staring down on you in judgment. But if you're trusting in Jesus, then to look into the face of God, is to be known by the Father who loves the Son, who loves the Father back by dying for us to save us and forgive us so that we might intimately know God as we are intimately known by him. And this is to live life to the full. To know God and to be known by him. Which, like Jesus to the Father, will look like us happily and willingly obeying Jesus. This is one of the best ways to enjoy knowing Jesus, actually to do what he commands, to love God and to love others. Not because you have to, not out of fear or even duty, but out of a love for Jesus that issues in happily and willingly laying down your life for others. To do this is actually to enjoy the intimacy of knowing God as you are known by him. When uh, Megs, my wife, and I started dating, we went to an after-work drinks catch-up with a bunch of her old uni friends uh, at a fancy bar on Oxford Street in the city. I didn't know anyone and I didn't really fit in. They were all wearing private school collared pastel polo shirts and tan chinos and boat shoes and talking about their uh, work perks and their money. I had no money, wore baggy mustard jeans and worked at an animation company that nobody knew or cared about. But the fact that I was there with Megs and that she wanted me there that I knew her and she knew me, meant I didn't feel like I was missing out. In fact, before we turned up, uh, Megs and I had decided that we'd try and find out, just in casual conversation, what each person's favourite flower was. Which made the time spent with those people much more lively. (laughs) Uh, All because I was doing it with Megs. In the same way, only eternally better Jesus promises us a much more lively life, a life to the full, and we can trust him in this because he laid down his life for us so that we might know God and be known by him intimately and enjoy living in this intimate relationship with him by obeying Jesus and loving others by laying down our lives for him. And it's in this, in knowing God and being known by him, by trusting and obeying Jesus, that we have life to the full. There's nothing else in this world that can match it. No amount of new things. No one's worth listening to as much. No one can can or will love you as much. There's nothing and no one that can give us life to the full except Jesus, as we trust him and obey him. And I'm going to pray that we do that and know that life to the full. Now. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for your great kindness to us in Jesus. We thank you that Jesus not only promises life to the full but delivers on it as he lays down his life for us, dying on that cross and taking up his life again, rising from the dead to show that his death was in our place for our selfishness and mistreatment of you that he took the punishment that we deserved so that we wouldn't have to, so that we might know your forgiveness and know you as our Father, the Father of the Son who loves us to death and beyond. Please, as those who are known by you and who know you, help us to enjoy the intimacy of that relationship. By trusting in Jesus, relying on him, and by obeying him, out of love for him. And know life to the full, as he promises. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen.